Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Here is something that's going on in our nation. Jason just showed me the articles on this, that uh, across college campuses, students are reporting that they are embarrassed or ashamed to actually say that they are from the United States. This has been uh, obviously very challenging time in our nation. And what I want to do today is spend some time talking on this title, The Prophetic History and Destiny of the United States. Or another way I could say it, two nights ago when I was working on this message, as I was falling asleep, kind of in that God moment, sometimes right when I'm falling asleep or right when I'm waking up, I'll have this kind of God consciousness. And the phrase, God shed his grace on thee. America, America, God shed his grace on thee. If I was to give it another title today, it would be America, God shed his grace on thee. Because what I want to tell you is that you are living in a country that is not perfect, that has plenty of pain and sin and, and plenty of challenges, but you are living in a country that God has placed his hand on, that brought into existence, and has a powerful destiny to fulfill. And so we start with Genesis 12, verse 1, in order to understand this, because this is how God works with his people. It says this, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples, I love that phrase, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. We begin here because Abraham is a prototype of the life of a follower of God. He's called out from the place that made the most sense. At the time, it was the New York City or the London or the Tokyo of the day, the seat of commerce, of the institutions of higher learning, the, the uh, epitome of art culture. It was Ur of the Chaldeans, and God calls him out from that place that made sense to go on a journey that made no sense, to listen to his voice and to go following him by faith. And Abraham became known as the father of faith, and he became known as the father of the Jewish people. And what does God say? I am going to bless you. We see so much of the history of our nation, but we see so much of the reason why I believe that God has blessed our nation entrenched in these verses. So let us begin. I'm going to spend the next 35 minutes going through over 600 years of history. So buckle your intellectual and spiritual seatbelts. I can't hit every character, but I will hit some highlights along the way of what God has been doing and what God is planning on doing through this country we call the United States of America. So I'm going to begin with Columbus. Columbus, 1492. There's been much debate about Columbus in recent years, but I encourage you, don't just believe everything you hear. Dive in and do the work. Do the studying. Look towards original sources and even quotes of different people. You might not know this, but what Columbus's, one of his greatest passions was the liberation of Jerusalem and providing a safe haven for the Jewish people. 
You see this in all different aspects of his life, of where he sent his money, the way he signed his name. But what you also might not know is the day that his uh, expedition took off, that there were more than just his vessels, the Pinta, Nina, and Santa Maria, but at the same time down the river was one of the last sailing vessels of Jewish exiles because at the time, the Spanish Inquisition was happening and Jews were being killed. Many people thought that it was Queen Isabella, you might have even learned that in school, that funded Columbus's journey just for financial exploits. But history actually tells us that it was three Jewish benefactors that actually gave the money for Columbus's journey. Here are their names. You can read about this. This is in both Christian uh, history accounts. This is in conservative and liberal history accounts. It was two Jewish conversos named Luis, Luis de Santangel and Gabriel Sanchez, as well as Don Isaac Abra Benel, a rabbi and Jewish statesman. Then we see that once he arrives in the New World, his first letter back, I want you to listen to Columbus in his own words. His first letter back is to a Jewish man, the treasurer of Aragon. That's not from the Lord of the Rings. De Santigel, he writes in his 1493 letter, listen to him. To the first island I discovered, I gave the name San Salvador. What does that mean? Savior. In commemoration of his divine majesty, speaking of Jesus, who has wonderfully granted all of this with fervent prayers for the high distinction that will accrue to them from turning so many peoples to our holy faith. Was Christopher Columbus perfect? Of course not. Is anyone perfect? Of course not. That is what is happening right now is there is a great discounting of all of history because of people's personal issues. I would ask if people looked at any of our lives, would they find a flawless person? Of course not. The Bible teaches us that the story of history is God using imperfect people. God used a man named Noah to save the human race on a boat. And Noah got drunk and committed heinous sexual sin. God used a, a, a man named David to bring about the, the spiritual awakening in Israel. And David was an adulterer and a murderer. God used Mary Magdalene to, to, to proclaim the good news of Jesus and to tell the disciples. And she was known for having seven demons and probably a woman of prostitution. God used Paul, an angry zealot who killed numerous people, to become the great apostle, to take the gospel. All of us stand by the grace of God. And it's his sovereign working in our lives that brings about his purposes. God even uses people who didn't intend to be used by him. And so what do we see? I'm going to give you some scriptural underpinnings for each of these different episodes in history. What do we see? We see that God made a way for his people, the Jewish people. And now, to this date, there are more Jewish people in the United States of America than there are even in Israel, although that is changing rapidly. This has been the country where the Jews could find safe haven. Let's keep moving. We're going to skip from 1492 to the 1600s. We're moving very fast. 1620, the pilgrims, some 100 people seeking religious freedom, set off on the Mayflower in the September of 1620. They landed in the Plymouth Colony. Do you know who these people were? 
They were Puritans. They were Brownists. And what was happening was severe religious persecution in England. There was an act called the Act of Uniformity of 1559, which made it illegal to attend any church except the church run by the king. And so people who wanted to worship God in their own way, according to the Bible and not mandated by the king, were actually being thrown in prison. They were actually even being executed. And so these people set off on a journey saying this. Here would be the scriptural principle from this. This is from the words of Jesus, Luke 4, 8. And Jesus answered them, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. The first settlers in this country at Plymouth were people seeking to worship Jesus and to serve him freely. There is a reason why there was so much blessing poured out on this nation. So now, did the history of the United States start with these settlers? No, of course not. And so we want to take a moment to honor the First Nations people. We're so blessed in San Diego to have so many First Nations people people. There are so many different people groups of the First Nations. I would imagine most of you have friends from these amazing people. And I want to highlight the story of Tisquantum. That Tisquantum might not sound familiar until I tell you what his, uh, his nickname was, which was Squanto. And this is such a reflective story of how God has moved in history. What the enemy intended for evil God turns for good. Because there have always been bad people coming into every country of the world, including our own. And so there were different traders that were capturing and taking people into slavery. And Squanto was one of them. But as he was taken back to Europe, some Jesus followers, some monks, uh, some Catholic monks actually purchased his freedom, taught him to read and write, and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. Through that, he gave his life to Jesus, he forgave his captors, and returned back to the United States. His tribe had been wiped out by an epidemic. He joined another tribe, which actually was the one who would receive these pilgrims. And through his work, Squanto's work, without him, as you many of you know from these stories from Thanksgiving, they would have all passed away. But for 20 months, Squanto lived among these religious pilgrims, teaching them the ways of surviving in this new land, the ways to fertilize the crops, the ways to harvest fish, the ways to harvest animals, even helping them navigate treacherous waters when they had to move to a new area. Here's the scriptural principle from Genesis 50, 20. Squanto's life, if you study it, it uncannily resembles the life of Joseph from the Bible. Joseph wrote this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Also, much like the life of St. Patrick of Ireland. Let's move into the 1700s. We just jumped another 150 years to 1774, why we celebrate today. Today, we celebrate the signing of the Declaration of Independence. But have you ever really analyze the words, the beginning words of the Declaration of Independence. Listen to this, very fitting to be read today. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, 
that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it's the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute a new government. Why is God's hand been on the United States of America because they acknowledge that God is a creator and that men and women are made in his image and that all men and women have unalienable rights and are created equal because they were made by a loving God. Incredible. This is whenever a nation, the Bible says this, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Whenever we acknowledge God, God pours out his blessing. Whenever we turn are back on him, we suffer the consequences. What's the scriptural admonition we see? What's the scriptural principle? It's this in Genesis 1:26. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the living creatures and, the, and everything that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. If you study the history of civilizations, the typical narrative is an all-powerful king or ruler, or leader, and the people are subjects with no rights. God was establishing a truth in this country that God is the creator of people, therefore we have rights. The reason we have rights is because God gave them to us. And God, the history of our nation, and, and have we done this perfectly? Of course not. Both Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King Jr. would say that this was a prophetic declaration that we have experienced hundreds of years of trying to live this out. Let's move to George Washington. Let's move to George Washington, who many call the father of our nation. You see, the only way that this country came into existence and became what it became could be attributed to the miraculous hand of God upon it. Many of us think of, of Washington as this noble, immortal, larger-than-life figure, but did you know that George Washington didn't think that of himself? He said instead, when he was made commander of the forces, he said, I do not think myself capable to com the command I am honored with. And in fact, in his first battle in the Revolutionary War, he made innumerable mistakes, so many that his smaller group of 12,000 opposing 18,000 English soldiers was getting destroyed very rapidly. They lost 3,000 men, and he ended up getting himself backed into a corner with the enemy surrounding on every side. It looked like the war would end before it had even really gotten going, and then a miracle happened. Several miracles. First, British General Howe made this crazy decision that instead of just going ahead and destroying all Washington's men, he just unexplicably stops the press. Next, Washington is backed up on the East River. It's almost a mile across it. The waters were incredibly choppy. And as they're sitting there with no place to go, a strange wind starts blowing from the opposite direction and quiets the waters. So ships were able to start coming across and getting people, but there were 9,000 Americans to deliver. And so as the sun started rising the next morning, it looked like they'd be destroyed. And then another thing happened. An unexplainable fog descended so thickly that the British commanders could not even see in front of them. 
And then more ships came and delivered all the Americans to the other side. And incredibly, as soon as they got to the other side, there was absolutely no fog there. Now, this is just one of the many miracles in George Washington's life. I encourage you to study his life. Here was a great one. Fifteen years beforehand, he was fighting in the French and Indian War, and his personal doctor, Dr. James Craig, attested to this, that a local Native American chief came to speak to them, to visit them. And he spoke what was known as the Indian chief prophecy over Washington. He explained in the Battle of Monongahela that all of the French and the Indians were firing upon Washington. They were all aiming at him, shooting at him. And these were Washington's words that he's quoted speaking. He said, I luckily escaped without a wound, though I had four bullet holes through my coat and two horses shot from under me. The miracle is Washington takes off his coat. He has no bullets in him, and yet he has four holes into his coat, and two of his horses were shot under him. It was such a divine moment that the, the, the Indian priest said this. He said, convinced that the great spirit had preserved Washington, he prophesied, he will become the chief of nations, and a people yet unborn will hail him as the father of a mighty empire. What's the scriptural principle? God does what he wants. Um, but here it is from the book of Psalms, Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. God had a plan. You know, so much is being said today about our, our, our founding fathers pointing to their sins and our weaknesses, and, and we would agree but we just must look back at Scripture and say, God is in the business of using imperfect people to accomplish his purposes. And the only way that America will fulfill its purposes today is if imperfect people receive the grace of God and let go of the past and we start loving and, and, and promoting each other and unifying instead of cutting every single person down and judging every single person by the mistakes they've made. Obviously, one of the greatest sins of our nation has been slavery and the oppression of people, of not treating all people equal. So I want to look at what God has done in our nation to bring about great liberation, both in our country and the nations of the world. I want to look at Abraham Lincoln, Harriet Tubman, and Martin Luther King Jr., Abraham Lincoln, God raised him up. He's one of my favorite characters in history, not because of his successes, but how many times he failed. You'll be hard-pressed to find a politician who lost more elections than him. You'll be hard-pressed to find someone who was known as more ugly than him, according to history books. And yet, he felt the divine call of God on his life. If God is calling you, do not listen to what other people say. Do not judge yourself by your outward appearances. And don't define yourself by your failures. Keep pressing on, because the world needs you to live out God's call on your life, because you might be the one who sets countless people free. He was the one who signed into effect the Emancipation Proclamation, and he kept the United States together in one of the most divisive times. Harriet Tubman, where, where uh, Lincoln was working from the halls of government, Harriet Tubman was being raised up from the grassroots level, hearing God's voice and obeying. 
She became the most famous conductor of the Underground Railroad. She was known to call people out by singing songs about Jesus. People would hear about Jesus and the freedom he brought, and they would come and find her, and she would listen to the Holy Spirit to turn right or to turn left. This is the inheritance in our nation. People that follow Jesus to bring about great liberation. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., did you know he was a pastor? Did you know he loved Jesus? And did you know that he laid down his life? Here's the scriptural principle behind these three people. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. One of the great history markers of the United States has been people willing to give their life for something greater than themselves. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. God is still working in our nation in this regard. Let us be a bright shining light to the nations of the world. And another way that we're a shining light, I want to move back into the 1800s for a moment because I believe this is one of the main reasons why God has poured out his supernatural favor on the United States is the student volunteer movement of 1886. So many of us think, wow, these, these institutions of, of higher learning, they're, they're, there's, there's so much challenge. Did you know in Boston, Massachusetts, in 1886, there was a great revival among college students, and they began committing their lives to reach the unreached of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 1886, it started the student volunteer movement, that would, which would be responsible for sending 20,000 college students to the foreign mission field. Why, why are we so passionate about youth and college students? Because the last 250 years of missions have been fueled by young people. And could it be that one of the reasons that God brought into existence the United States of America and has preserved us through so many challenges and trials is because God wanted a sending center that would think about the unreached of the nation so that every kindred, nation, tribe, and tongue could hear the gospel. So many students were being called into the nations that at that time, one in 37 college students was surrendering their life to be a foreign missionary. Can you imagine that, students? Every time you're walking across campus, one out of every 40 students you're looking at is about to go overseas to reach an unreached nation. Uh, That would be the equivalent of half a million college students this year signing up to be missionaries. Lord, do it again. Lord, do it again. His favor is on those that bring the gospel The scriptural principle, therefore, go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I love what Jeff Ballantyne said at the summer nights this past Wednesday. He said, why would God say in the Great Commission, and I am with you always? Like, isn't he everywhere? Isn't he with us? Always? Isn't he with everyone always? He said, could it be that there's a special way that God is with you when you commit to take the gospel to the nations of the world? Could it be that there's been a sovereign protection over our nation as we have been the greatest mission-sending center on earth? I would love to go back through and talk about numerous milestones and numerous people like the great awakenings that happened in our nation that turned much of the nation back to Jesus. 
led by Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, John Wesley. I'd love to talk about Azusa Street, and maybe I will at some other time with, with William Seymour that happened in Los Angeles that launched Pentecostalism and the charismatic movement around the nations and has sent more people and, and brought in more people into the kingdom of God. I'd love to talk about the birthing of the largest missions organizations with Campus Crusade and YWAM, the Southern Baptist. But we're basically running out of time, so I want to talk about one more thing that you might not have ever seen before, and that is a very little-known Midwestern seminary, uh, Midwestern senator named Harry Truman that didn't ever want to become president, but reluctantly became vice president and ultimately president. Harry Truman had been fighting in World War One in the, in the, in the uh, what are they called? Trenches with a man named Eli. Eli had been a Jewish man. Steph and I, three weeks ago, we were in Hawaii, and we were sitting on a bench watching a beautiful sunset, and a, a gentleman in his 90s sat down next to us. And so we engaged him in conversation, and he had an unusual accent, so we asked him where he was from, and he gave an unusual answer. He said, I'm from, I'm from Austria and Shanghai, China. And so... Steph asked, so, so how, how did you end up in Shanghai, China? Because he wasn't of Chinese background. And he said, I'm Jewish. And at the time, in 1938, the only country that would take us when we began to be persecuted was Shanghai, China. Man, it hit me hard. It broke my heart seeing this man and knowing the stories that when the Jewish people started be, uh, being killed in the Holocaust, that no countries would open their borders. Why did six million Jews die? It's because no country would let them flee into their country. And so Harry Truman said this, we must all do all that is humanly possible to provide a haven and a place of safety for all those who can be grasped from the hands of the Nazi butchers. Free lands must be open to them. Their present oppressors must, not, must know that they will be held directly accountable for their bloody deeds. To do all this, we must draw deeply on our tradition of aid to the oppressed, another reason why our nation has been blessed, and to our great national generosity. This is not a Jewish problem. It is an American problem. And we must and we will face it squarely and honorably. So when the British protectorate, the British mandate expired, where they were protecting Israel, and all of a sudden, five nations came and surrounded Israel to destroy it. And David Ben-Gurion declared Israel as a nation. There was great debate in the United Nations, as there always is. Many nations hating the country of Israel. And this unknown Midwestern senator that all of a sudden ends up as president, makes the definitive vote, and endorses the Israel becoming a nation in a moment in 1948. His name is Harry Truman. That nation that endorsed Israel was the United States of America, and the rest is history. Israel was reborn in a day. Genesis 12. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And all peoples will be blessed through you. Let me finish with this verse. I already spoke it one time. Psalm 33, 12. I'd encourage you to write this down. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people who he chose for his inheritance. 
Why has God blessed the United States of America? I wrote down five reasons. There are many more. The U.S. has been a harbor for Jews in persecution. It's the nation with the most Jewish people from its foundation, from its inception. It has been a safe harbor for the Jewish people. Number two, the U.S. was started by people wanting to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, you may say amen after these. These should make you happy. Number three, the U.S. has said that all people have worth because they're made in the image of God, even in its founding documents. Number four, the U.S. has been a launching pad for the greatest missionary work on the earth. And number five, the U.S. endorsed the rebirth of the modern-day nation of Israel. Men and women, we have an amazing prophetic history. Although it's not unscathed, it's not untainted, God has had his hand on us. However, I want to end maybe with this ominous tone. I believe that our nation is resting on a knife's edge, teetering back and forth. Because as you study history, which I love to study, you see that there have been great nations in the past. The Assyrians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Mongols. You look through these nations, and now you look around, and none of them exist in their splendor, in their power. Why? Because what led to the destruction of these nations was always three things. One, extreme unchecked sexuality. Anytime a nation lets sexuality go unchecked and threw off any sexual morals, it began the end for that empire. Number two, the embracing of violence. Anytime a nation encouraged violence and actually championed violence and used violence as an entertainment, it was the beginning of the end. And number three, anytime a nation was more into its sensual pleasures and accumulation of riches. It was the beginning of the end of that nation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. But a nation will be destroyed when its God becomes sex and violence and indulgence and sensuality. Men and women, I, t I teach on this prophetic destiny because I want you to know that God's hand is on your life. It's not about your perfection. It's not about our nation's perfection. God's sovereign hand. If you can hear my voice today, it's because God was calling you. He has a purpose for your life. Don't define yourself by your past, by your sin, by your failings. God has a plan for you to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And in the same way, God has a plan for our nation to continue to use us to, br to bring his biblical truths to a hurting and broken world, to stand for the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, to take the gospel to the nations, to be a safe harbor for people to come and be able to live in justice and equality. But it's our decision. The Bible says this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Men and women, it's time for the United States to humble ourselves. It's time for us as the scripture says, and turn from their wicked ways and seek his face. The Lord says, then I will hear you from heaven and I will turn and heal your land. Do not say it is too late for America. God is the God of second chances, the God of third chances, the God of four chances. He has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for us. And our job is turning, humbling ourselves and seeking him and letting him move. Why don't we stand up?